Welcome to the Show Me Institute podcast. I'm Zach Lawhorn from Show Me Opportunity, and today I'm joined by David Stokes, Elias Chappelle, and Avery Frank from Show Me Institute. David, on the last episode, we talked about the rash of uh, water main breaks across St. Louis. There were more than a dozen over a weekend, and one of the ideas that uh, was floated, maybe a rate increase. More pun money. Intended, pun intended, Yes, Zach? it was floated. Uh, a rate increase for um, water uh, in the area that some of the funds could go towards infrastructure did that idea get some traction well it's been passed by the board of aldermen and I, uh, that's a good thing i it's going to go to mayor jones's desk i'm sure she has it i presume she's going to sign it she may have and it just hasn't made news yet uh I, i'm sure she's going to sign it and that's a i shouldn't say i'm sure i believe she's going to sign it and that's good the problem is not that they're doing a large water rate increase now they need to do it the problem is that they've been underpricing the water for decades and decades and that because it's the water division is run by politicians they who have to respond to voters and and consumers of water uh they're always hesitant to raise rates and that's a bad way to run a utility and that is a standard project a standard problem with any type of municipal utility system so good for the board of aldermen for raising the rates uh good for them in the new bill for sort of baking in automated inflation-adjusted rate increases going forward to try to adjust this, address this situation and adjust the rates automatically. Uh, I don't, I'm not certain it's going to happen. What I mean is, yes, it's in this bill, so it will be law, but I uh, would suspect that in the not-too-distant future, you know, when those automatic rate increases come into effect, a future board might, might get rid of them. So we'll see. This is a perfect example of why municipal utilities often fail to invest in their systems and why water divisions, water utilities like in St. Louis and Kansas City should be privatized and bid off to uh, private investor-owned utilities. Everybody in St. Louis County, a million people, has, has private water. Uh, most of, much of Missouri has fully private water. It's regulated by the Public Service Commission. People cannot just jack rates up. Uh, right and left, private companies, they have to go through a long process, probably too cumbersome of a process, but there it is nonetheless. So I hope that these issues with the city water division highlight that problem. And in the long run, I'd love to see that water division privatized. So do you have any sense, because I think one of the unique things about this situation is that not only was it a rate that was the same for a long time, but it's a static rate. As you've mentioned a couple times, if you use half the water that your neighbor uses, you pay the same. Do you have any sense of how unique that setup is uh, throughout the state? Well, it's, it's, unfortunately, it's quite unique. It's, St. Louis is one of the only cities in the country, maybe the only large city, that has not fully adopted water meters to homes in St. Louis. There are some businesses that have water meters. Some new homes that have been built recently may have them. But most homes in the city of St. Louis are still paying a flat rate for how they get their, their water. And that's a terrible, terrible idea. Uh, I recognize that most of the cost of water is in the system, not the, not the marginal use of it. That said, you should still charge marginally to encourage conservation as much as you can. And, and yes, if you live next to 
your neighbor waters their lawn every day till they have the gardens of Shangri-La. They will pay the same amount of for water as you do if you've got native plants that use very little water. You want to build the, the Sahara Desert in St. Louis because you want to conserve water? Good for you, but you're not saving any money by doing that, and that's terrible policy. And is the case at this point against the water meters that it would just be too much of a, a one-time cost? I think that's always been the case. I think certain people on the – that's the main case in St. Louis, just, just – uh, We've always done it this way. We'll just keep it this way. There are certain people on on the political left who are active on these issues who hate water meters because they see it as a step towards privatization. Uh, that's a crazy argument. Water meters are good in and of themselves. That's not why they haven't done it in St. Louis, but that is a concern you, you hear by uh, various uh, other organizations that are opposed to privatization. But it's, it's just crazy. Like to, At this point, St. Louis should just leapfrog and get rid of the old water meters and just install right to modern ones that can just be read by somebody driving past the car, like automatic ones, and just or just sent in via computer. I mean, the days of a water of a meter reader coming to your house and checking your meter are long gone. So St. Louis should just find out what the water meters of 2040 are going to be and get on top of the game with the best technology possible and install those. That's what the city should do now. And between Rams money and ARPA money and hopefully this new rate increase, I, I believe they have the money to do it. It was actually a pretty big week or a couple weeks in um, water department news. So there's some things happening to the south of St. Louis and Jefferson County. What's going on there? Well, Crystal City and Festus, which share a sewer division, They've been approached by the Jefferson County Public Sewer District about taking that over. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a good idea for Crystal City and Festus to close their, I shouldn't say close, to turn over their sewer system to the larger county-based Jefferson County Sewer sewer District. So it's all good, and it's $5 million is the bid that's been uh, put out there to purchase it for the city of Crystal City and the city of Festus to split. The problem is that they sort of put, I want to phrase this as nicely as they possibly can, they didn't invite anybody else to bid on it, and that's a bad thing. That's poor public policy. They did not invite, to the best of my knowledge, and I know that, I know that certain sewer and water companies were not invited to bid, uh, uh, such as Missouri American, Central State Sewer, they should all be offered to put a bid on to operate the sewer system in a Crystal City in Festus because they might be willing to pay a lot more than the Jefferson County Public Sewer District is, and the people of Crystal City and Festus might be able to get a lot more money for that. So I really question whether the city councils in those two cities have done their fiduciary duty to get the best deal for those cities. Just closing it off to with this that they're only right now working with Jefferson County Public Sewer District, I think is very bad. The, the deal's not done. They're just in a nego- They passed Monday night uh, a resolution to work with the Public Sewer District there. That may not go forward, and if it doesn't, I hope they invite uh, private utilities, investor-owned utilities to bid. Either way, they just need to do that, and that's good public policy, not sort of setting the game up so only one other competitor can bid for it. I think that's there's nothing wrong with what they're doing in that the public sewer district may be a great bidder and purchaser for the system, but to limit on, limited only to the public sewer district is terrible. So on the spectrum of public utilities, on one end you have every uh, local municipality runs their own 
public utility and the other end you have full privatization is it fair to describe this as kind of in the middle consolidation yeah this would be service sharing which is something we talk a lot about i mean there's all sorts of examples where cities work with other cities a smaller city maybe contracts policing or fire services to a larger city or a city contracts with a county there's all sorts of great examples like that and this would be sort of service sharing the cities are turning over operation of their sewer system to an independent government sewer agency so there's nothing wrong with that and they could get every bid from every possible buyer and this could well be the best bid for the people of that area but to limit the bids is is the real problem here and over in independence right now that where they have uh, independence of course home of home of harry truman of fifth biggest city in the state of missouri they have a municipal electric and a municipal water division and they've started talking about privatizing their municipal electric division and i think it's time for them to do that to do that as well i mean Ameren, evergy there are others there's plenty of private ut- electric utilities around the state and the nation that provide electric services very very well in a regulated model and it works very well and and look the the independent city officials even said that they're charging more than the private companies which isn't supposed to be how it works municipal utilities have advantages in taxes and and lending and regulation that they can usually be a little cheaper it's not a good thing as the st louis water division has shown but it's there independence doesn't even even have that so i think it would be great if independence put out to bid in an open transparent fashion their electric and water utilities and we don't have to get into the nitty-gritty now on this, and our uh, former colleague Jacob Puckett has done some work on this, but when you talk about privatizing utilities, when do when does a monopoly situation become a concern of yours? Well, it doesn't really, because we have the Public Service Commission system that we have monopolies in Missouri. We have lots of water, gas, and, and electric monopolies, sewer monopolies. And mono- utilities are in many respects, uh, the classic natural monopoly. And that's the system we have. And that's why you've never heard Dave Stokes say we should have unregulated monopoly utilities. There is a role for the Public Service Commission. They do a, a good job uh, managing, managing this. I think they can be a little quicker in certain things at times. But on the whole, they do a nice job. And that's the system that I think works best for the customers, taxpayers, and voters of Missouri. And again, most people are all three. All right. Well, one area where there is currently a monopoly, standardized testing in Missouri. And Avery, you've been working on this story about uh, some of the school districts in Missouri want to opt out of the MAP test, which I think a lot of parents that are listening will be familiar with the MAP test. So if you could just set the table, explain uh, what what the school districts want and what the new system that they would like to put in place is. Yeah, Zach. So when I first stumbled across this story... I saw the headline, 20 Missouri school districts seek exemption from the Missouri assessment program. And my immediate thoughts were, okay, so the districts are angry with DESI. They think the MAP's garbage. They want a new test. And then I started researching it a little bit, and I was like, okay, whoa. These districts are actually working with DESI as part of a trial program to see if they can replace the MAP. So it's called the Demonstration Project, and it's composed of 20 districts that are voluntary participating in it, to, that are representative of the entire state. So you have Afton, you have Lee Summit, a huge district, you have Confluence Academies, you have Melville, you have Neo Show, you have a lot of different districts all f- participating in a trial 
to see, could this new assessment be better? Could it replace the MAP? And so this will go on for three years, and it will just, they will test it out. They want an exemption from the MAP because they claim that if they're taking the MAP at the same time they're trying this new trial, they won't be able to focus on it and actually effectively do it. That's what they say in their own words. And their goal of the whole project is, quote, to seek to create a reimagined assessment and accreditation system. So the current system is the students, it's uh, sometime between third and eighth grade, you sit down and your teacher gives you, we hear a lot about the math portions, the ELA portions, and you sit down and your student uh, takes a test in the spring and it's not for a grade. They're very, <laughs> they're very clear about that, uh, for the student anyway. And then sometime in the fall, the schools get the results of this and this has an impact or is meant to have an impact on a lot of different areas including accreditation the scores are published you can find them at mostschoolrankings.org and this lets you know or is meant to let you know how your school is performing correct yes so the federal government mandates that every state has to take a standardized test. They have to have one unified standardized test so they can compare to districts and see, okay, these strategies are working, this isn't, this district's doing well, this isn't. But DESI and the Student Ready Success Network, they think that the MAP was never designed to actually be able to advance students and help identify their issues. And, you know, I do partly agree. I mean, if you get look at one of the individual student reports, you'll see it. It's like, zero to 800 your student scored 430 in english and you're like what does that even what does that even mean like it's just a number to me but so i do think the new assessment will do that and that's what it's designed to do so this new assessment system it's an adaptive three times a year so it's continuous throughout the year test where the students they sit down 45 minutes for math 45 minutes for english they sit down they get on their computer they take a test if they miss a test, if they miss a sixth grade question, aren't wrong. It makes it like, okay, here's the easier question. Can you get the fifth grade question? You miss that wrong, okay. And the test is trying to learn from you. It's an adaptive test. So if you like, if you think of it like your Netflix account, so you watch action movie, you like that? Okay, so my the guy watching this Netflix account likes action movies. It suggests another action movie to you. Okay, he likes that. It keeps going, keeps going. The test learns from you just like your Netflix app or your Hulu. And through that, it can learn where you are exactly. So at the end of it, it says, okay, Johnny, he's got fifth grade math. He's really good at fractions, great at decimals, but he's horrible at word problems. So teacher, you should see that. You should try to help Johnny on his math problem, on his word problems. You really should focus on that. And that is a benefit. I think that will be good for the test. It is a lot more expensive, I will say. $22 more per student for the assessment and that will we'll see if we can do that throughout the entire state but I think it's I think it's a good idea and so that does sound like an improved system for student performance which is very important but is there a concern that you would not have an established baseline to mm-hmm. evaluate the school's performance that if every student is taking an adaptive test and Johnny's test is different than Susie's test, that it's going to be harder to compare apples to apples and uh, that will be less helpful uh, when talking about school district performance. Yeah, I agree. And I think 
I think par- I like the idea. As I said, I think this can help teachers better learn their students. But I think they're kind of losing understanding of what a standardized test is actually meant to do. So when you have a standardized test, it's like, okay, this district, they should be, these two districts should be performing the same. But this one's doing a lot better. What teaching strategies are they using so districts can learn from each other, mimic each other? But it also says, okay, Miss Adams' class, she handed out 70% of her class got A's, but her students bombed the math standardized test. What is going on? You, and so that shows that, okay, you've got to adjust the curriculum a little bit. If she's handing out all A's, but they're not doing well in the standardized test, that's what a standardized test is for. And this standardized test, it's, okay, we're learning what the students are doing, but isn't that what quizzes and tests and presentations and class discussions are for? Like, I, I, the idea of this is good, but that's what teachers should be doing the entire time. This is what districts should be focused on. They should be knowing what their students are struggling with. They shouldn't take a standardized test three times a year to understand what, you're, what Johnny's struggling with, that he's struggling with fractions, that he's bombed two quizzes with fractions. Like, there should not be a three times a year standardized test to understand that. And my other concern with this whole thing is just the timing and the urgency of it. So MSIP 6, as you know, just got released, and 112 districts are provisionally accredited, which is a huge jump from MSIP 5, which was five provisionally accredited districts. And it just seems like they're rushing this out so quickly. Are they concerned with M66? Do they think, wow, we have way too many districts provisionally accredited. We need to get something new out there because we don't want to look so bad. And it just it concerns me because what like I like the idea of the assessment program. I'm just worried about the reasoning for implementing it. Well, and one thing that we've talked about a lot is that every time there's a new assessment plan that's put out, which is pretty frequently, we hear, well, okay, now you can't compare the scores going forward with the scores previously. And that does make it hard to um, to look at the data and analyze what's been going on. If every year, two years, um, you say, no, we have to start over, throw the old data out, you can't compare. So yeah. it does seem like we're running the risk of getting into that situation again, and especially at a time when we're seeing learning loss from the pandemic. That So I agree, maybe the timing isn't the best, but um, I don't know, I guess, you know, you got to, innovation is disruptive sometimes. Yeah. So. Well, Zach, my main concern if I understand this correctly from what Avery was saying, is that it sounds like the more questions a student gets wrong on the test, the more likely their Netflix account is to recommend Fast and Furious movies for them to watch. (laughs) And I don't know why the Netflix, based on the testing matter, they're going to pick one action franchise over another action franchise. So I'm, I'm sort of, I'm not understanding the connection to this, but perhaps that's on me. Uh, Avery will have several blog posts up on the website. He'll walk you through the Netflix and uh, map test connection. Good, because so. I'm definitely a little bit confused. Then, then just one last connection on this. So I, I have a little experience with the adaptive test. I don't know how many you know kids in Missouri schools have, but the GRE became uh, adaptive. I can't remember how many years ago, but it it was around the time that I was going to graduate school. And so there was a lot of, I did a lot of research for that or looking into, you know, what was going on because one of the big concerns with the GRE is that previously there was, it was basically people would take the test to try to get to a certain number. The score was a certain number and they would just keep taking the test until they could get there. Well, the adaptive test, uh, 
you essentially can't you can't really do that because it's getting it's basically ranking people relative to each other and if you miss a question early in the test, it's going to change the possible questions you're going to be asked the rest of the time. And so when you're looking at what this is going to mean for Missouri students, you know, the, there's a chance that, you know, maybe, maybe Johnny, because he's not good at fractions, you know, he's not going to be able to get above a third grade score on this adaptive test because he missed the first, you know, second grade question. And so he can never get to the fifth grade, even though he could, you know, maybe he is way better at you know, word problems or something else. And so I, I think there are a lot of people that, you know, have various concerns with the map tests. I think some of those same concerns will probably come up with the adaptive test. But if, if there is any hope for getting closer, uh, a closer idea for, you know, where different, you know, kids are, especially relative to their peers, I think this is probably a good idea. But I, I do not expect people to stop complaining about the test. So Avery, the 20 districts, they haven't gotten the waiver yet, correctly? Correct? No, they so. haven't. And if they don't get it, they're just going to take the map and the new assessments, which I think they should do in the first place. Whether they, they sh- I think they should drop the waiver and take the map and the new assessments so we can compare all the districts in the state and not just have a big hole of 20 districts. So, yeah. All right. Well, we'll be um, checking back in for updates. So, Elias, a couple of years ago, there was some legislation passed, some federal legislation that was meant to increase price transparency in hospitals. Everyone knows it's uh, very difficult. You go in to get any number of procedures, and then you just kind of wait and see what your bill is going to be. So it's been a couple of years, and we have full price transparency in Missouri now, right? Uh, not exactly. It's a work in progress, I would say. Uh, last month, there was a big congressional hearing on the topic, and some of the representatives there, you know, they brought up that hospital compliance is still pretty bad. Last year, the Show Me Institute, we looked at Missouri hospitals. We found that less than 30% of the state's hospitals seemed like they were compliant with this price transparency. And what that means is that there should be, uh, what this federal rule basically laid out was that, you know, if a patient wanted to go was going to get a, you know, a knee replacement and was going to go to the hospital, they should be able to go somewhere and see, you know, how much is this going to cost so they could be a consumer, you know, let these market forces work so they could see, okay, well, you know, going to Barnes is going to be more expensive than going to SLU hospital, something like that, you know, so you could see where, um, you know, there's money to be saved and overall put, you know, different downward pressure on costs, but really bring market forces to the healthcare space. But what we've seen, you know, just as uh, trying to roll out these rules, it's become quite difficult. So as I mentioned, compliance uh, originally, this went into effect in 2021. So in 2022, compliance was still really bad. Uh, Very few hospitals were complying. Um, Nationally, it was supposedly less than 25%, Missouri around 30%. Um, And as of just a couple weeks ago, um, for compliance, only six out of the uh, nation's 6,000 hospitals have been fined for not complying. So if, you know, people aren't, or if these hospitals aren't following federal law, you would think, you know, there'd be some sort of compliance, but where the issue gets sort of interesting, or at least the late latest developments become interesting is that the hospital associations came out and said, no, 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 we are complying. Um, over 70% of us are complying. We're working on it. Things are getting better. And, uh, you know, it should be easier for consumers. So, what I, what I did when I saw that was, you know, okay, well, you know, show me institute. We looked at these last year. Uh, let's go see what's going on. And 
basically what it looks like is it does look like there is some, it does look like there is some improvement, but it is still nowhere near consumer friendly in such a way that I would think my parents could do it. You know, you, you try to go to a website, a hospital's website, getting to the point where you could see what a um, knee replacement costs. Um, recently my mom had back surgery, you know, seeing what that is very difficult. And more importantly, you can't really compare between hospitals because you have to go to different websites, find different ways that they refer to, you know, what this cost estimator would be, and then try to get the same description for the service, which is way more difficult. And, um, so really there's a lot of room to go. And so I guess the big question now is, you know, were, were the, representatives correct when they said compliance is still really low or you know are we to believe what the hospitals are saying that compliance is high because if compliance is high there's a lot more work that needs to be done to uh, get to a point where things can be um, easy for consumers to use Um, and if they're not complying you know there is plenty of room especially for states to step in and you know try to make um this enforcement mechanism, you know, make it more difficult for hospitals to refuse to comply because really knowing how much something costs before you receive a service is, is a very important point. And I think it's something that, you know, Missouri should be working towards. Well, and it's made even more complicated by the fact that you're going to have to involve insurance companies, right? So it's not just a service provider to the customer. There's going to be a middleman at some point that is really hard to account for in most cases, right? It's very difficult. Some of the various uh, tools uh, that look at prices try to kind of account for that, but it's still very difficult. Um, Some states have developed their own kind of comparison where you basically would put in, you know, what your insurance provider is and what service you're trying to get. And, you know, it'll give you a price range for different hospitals. Um, And then, you know, you have to look at, well, okay, so depending on that cost, what does it mean for me? Because the the cost that, you know, the bill says is not necessarily what, you know, you're going to pay. And so pricing in healthcare is a very difficult, (laughs) a very difficult and complicated thing. And we're just trying to get to a point where, you know, people know what something's going to cost before they get it. It's just, it's turned out to be way more difficult than I think even the, you know, the past administration or the um, legislators thought whenever they, you know, advance healthcare price transparency a few years ago. It's, it's just a very, very, very complicated issue and a problem. And it's definitely frustrating. I, I think of myself as about as free market and liber- libertarian and market oriented as anybody can be. And I, you hear, you hear these stories and you deal with health pricing and healthcare. And it's like, it's like, count me in next time there's a, barricades at the Paris commune like I'm I'm there like you just want to lose your mind over it well and I think not only the the insurance component but there's also the timetable component that as Elias the situation that you mentioned where you're shopping around comparing hospitals there's a lot of medical procedures that you just don't have weeks to to shop around so I mean to, to just a, a crude analogy it's like if you're shopping for a car and if you need it Right now, it may be a completely different price than if you need it in two or three weeks. So there's the emergency care component, too, that to David's point, it just makes it so complicated. And, and what makes it even you know, worse than that is that something can cost way more in St. Louis than it does in Columbia. Or, you know, there's I don't know specific cases in Missouri, because, as I mentioned, there's not a lot of price transparency. But in some places where this has been done, you see 
just very different prices, you know, not that far apart. And so, you know, this is really something that, you know, if you could, I think a lot of people would like to, you know, do some level of shopping just because there's so much money on the line, but it's, it's very difficult. And, you know, no, no one wants to find out that they went into, you know, a crazy amount of medical debt for something when they could have, you know, traveled 10 extra minutes to have saved, you know, a ton of that. So we might not record next week because of the holiday, but, uh, the week after that, will you have a solution? <laughs> hey, you know, we, we always have a solution and that's more transparency, but, um, you know, figuring out exactly what the law needs to change. I mean, compliance, especially with these big, you know, providers is very difficult. Um, but I do, there's plenty of room for Missouri's legislature to do something. And that's why we've included, you know, some reforms there in our blueprint, but in terms of what needs to happen to the federal rule and how um, compliance is happening there and how the federal government's working with the hospitals, uh, that's much more difficult. And I think that will take plenty of time. But I, I am happy to see that the new Congress is, you know, at least looking at it. Yeah, and I, hopefully that'll be a priority. We've talked about uh, the next legislative session, but hopefully on the uh, list of priorities somewhere um, that will be uh, that item will be on it and hopefully quite high. Yeah, we can hope. Yep. Um, all right. To uh, close up, we'll. I know we're going. As I just mentioned, we're going into a holiday uh, weekend, Fourth of July weekend. But uh, what are you guys keeping track of, David? We'll start with you. Uh, in- initially, I'm going to be keeping track of unregulated firework sales in East Tennessee, where you can just go and <laughs> buy these babies anywhere anywhere you want and shoot them off anywhere you want. That's where I'm going to be for the fourth. So I'll be uh, enjoying. There's a major drought, David. We, we we're not we're not we're not shooting <laughs> these off right now. Not okay. on not on near Lake Teleco. Okay. It's very very want, wet yeah. over there. <laughs> Speaking of TVA utility monopolies, uh, hopefully I'll I'll enjoy my unregulated fireworks and hopefully come back with ten fingers. Uh, mostly I'm focused on property taxes right now. Uh, obviously, most of Missourians should have gotten their assessment changes by now. Uh, large assessment increases around the state uh, for homes. People don't realize that with the high inflation of recent years that the tax rollbacks at the local government level might be very small, and that's going to be a, a double whammy for people that I think or people are going to be shocked when they get their tax bills in late October, early November. So just working on on that. The solution for tax cuts for senior citizens only by freezing property taxes for seniors is a bad one. That will make the problem worse, not better. But uh, talking about some other ways to change it. Most of all, around the state, you have until July 10th to appeal your assessments. So consider doing that strongly. Avery, what about you? So I'll be in East Tennessee enjoying the unregulated fireworks as well. We're going to have a bottle rocket war across (laughs) county lines. Shoot them at each other. Yeah, it'll be a good time. And I'm actually speaking, actually not of explosives because they can explode, but um, there's a nuclear act going through the U.S. Congress right now. It's called, well, it just got out of committee. It's called the Advance Act. And it would actually lower a lot of the regulation costs because nuclear costs are just so high because of all the regulations and this act would kind of start pushing it forward, force the NRC to cut down some of those regulations, and I think it will be interesting to be able to track. Although I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my mind if you keep saying nuclear instead of nuclear. I, mean, I think this is next on your list, Avery. Uh, President Bush did that for a, a long time. 
<laughs> All right, and Elias. Well, before before we head out for our Fourth of July, I think uh, everyone, you know, it's the time that we are we have been waiting for. I know Zach specifically, where we can take our gas receipts, go to the Department of Revenue website, and file for our refunds. So we're entering our second year. This year, the refund uh, is up to five cents per gallon. So you know that we're talking about real, you know, thirty dollars maybe. So there's real money here. It's our second chance. Get your receipts out and, you know, go spend that money on some uh, fireworks. To make an extremely current reference, there's a 30-year-old Seinfeld episode where George's wallet explodes because he can- that's me right now with all my gas receipts. I, I'm developing back problems uh, because I've been collecting them for a year, and so it'll be great to get all those out of my wallet. Hey, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm going to go back to this nuclear versus nuclear thing. I want to point out that Avery grew up very close to the Oak Ridge National Laboratory in East Tennessee. I mean, I, of all the people, you know, it's I still nuclear. can't hear the difference. Well, as always, thank you for listening. Plenty more at showmeinstitute.org. And uh, we'll talk to you um, after the holiday. David, Elias, Avery, thanks. Thanks.